hearing from God with regard to verses 14 through 19 this morning. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Again, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we can open your word. We are here this morning humbly acknowledging that we are desperate people who can do nothing apart from you. We need you to work in us. So we ask you this this morning to warm our cold hearts. Help us to see your truth in light of the events of our lives, the circumstance we find ourselves in. And Lord, I pray that you will glorify yourself in the time in the word today. Help us to worship you. Help us to glorify you. Change us. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you a quick question. Are you approved by God? Are you approved by God? Second question, if you said yes. The second question is, how do you know? How do you know? Now, certainly we know that ultimately me being approved or you being approved by God is because of Christ's work on the cross. We certainly acknowledge that here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. We recognize that I'm approved by God, you're approved by God if we have his righteousness. An alien righteousness, a righteousness that's not our own. If we have his righteousness, if our sin has been atoned for it by the cross work of Jesus Christ, then we are approved by God. We know that. And yet, Paul takes a different tack this morning. He's not denying what we just said. What he's talking about in the text this morning is, if that is true, this also will be true. So it's not that there's something added in, but it will evidence itself in what he talks about here this morning. Are we approved by God? Let's look at the passage, starting in verse 14. Paul writing to Timothy, the pastor of the church. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And the talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Harmenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul's writing to Timothy, a pastor in a church that's struggling, that's floundering, and he says something, and Andrew, I certainly appreciate you bringing up last week's message because it directly ties into this week's message. That last week, you remember verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Today's message is not separated from that. Paul tells Timothy, the pastor, the elder, to do something. Remind them of these things. So, verse 8, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Verse 14, remind them of these things. Remind who? Remind the people of the church. Now, just so you're aware, preaching is not primarily presenting new data. Oftentimes it is proclaiming what you already know to remind you. So every time we come to church, we don't necessarily learn new things. Oftentimes we need to be reminded of what we already know. That's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy here. Remind them of these things. Now, does that mean that this, that this text is only for the pastor? No. Remember what, what Paul said earlier? Teach faithful men who will teach others also, right? And so Paul's to do, or Timothy's to do what? He's supposed to teach faithful people, or in this case, remind faithful people who will then do what? Help others to be reminded. And so this is still a call to all of us. 
remind them of these things. And it's interesting that the terminology Paul uses here, the word remember in your text in the Greek is in the present perfect. What that means is continually do so. Go on and on and on at it. Keep on reminding them of these things. What things? Paul tells Timothy, remind them of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, is preached in my gospel. Remind them of these things. Now, it includes these other things as well, like we saw in last week in uh, 8 through 13. About his faithfulness. If we endure, we'll also reign. I'm going backwards. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. Remind them of these things continually. We need to stop there. The task of the pastor is to remind the congregation of these things continually. Always be putting forth the congreg- before the congregation Jesus Christ. Always putting forward before the congregation if you have died with Him, you will also live with Him. If you endure, you will, will also reign with Him. However, if we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. These things are things that the pastor and all the nuances of that as well The pastor needs to be reminding you of all the time. At the same time, we are all to be reminding each other of that continually. So I just want to stop on that for a second and ask you a big question. It's kind of like confession number two. Have you been busy this week? you answer the question, have you been busy this week reminding people of Jesus Christ? Have you been busy this week reminding people that if they have died with Christ, they will also live with Christ? Have you been busy this week reminding people that if They endure for Christ. They will also reign with Christ. Have you been busy reminding people this week that they're faithless? He remains faithful because he can't deny himself. I guess what I'm trying to ask you is this question. If I may simply sum it up. What did you do with the study last week? It's one of the curses of Christianity. That we come to church and we hear and we go away and we forget and we lay it aside. We put our notes on the shelf, whatever the case may be. And we never say a word about it to anybody all week long. And next week we get more and never say anything about it. And then more and never say anything about it. And more and never say anything about it. And on and on and on. Paul today establishes an amazing study in contrast. And it starts off right with the very first statement. Remind them of these things. Did you remind people this week of Jesus? Did you remind people this week of his death, burial, and resurrection? Were you carefully, in the present perfect, regularly, characteristically, reminding people of the most amazing person? Christ, were you today, or this week, this last week? Were you? Because the study in the text this morning is, if you're not that, then you're this. You're something else. We started off asking, are you approved by God? Very important question. One of the ways we examine if we're approved by God is by asking ourselves questions such as what we just asked. Have I been reminding people? K 
characteristically reminding people, speaking truth into other people's lives, ministering to people, encouraging, exhorting, comforting. People towards Christ. Paul tells Timothy, remind people all the time of these things. We can't help but remind people of something. We can't help but point things out to people. When we talk to people, we're reminding them of something. We're declaring something to them, aren't we? Right? We are declaring something. So did you declare Christ? That's the question. Paul tells Timothy, listen, this is what is your task. And it's not grievous, but this is your task. Remind people. And he goes on and he says, remind people of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Now I need to ask, I need to stop on that for a second. Don't quarrel about words because it doesn't do any good, right? What does he say? Don't quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the receiver or the hearer of your words. What did we just say? We're either reminding people of Jesus or something else. Right? Those other things do no good. All things are from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever. Amen. The picture that Paul presents to Timothy is all these other words separated from the thing we are to remind people of end up by very nature being quarrelsome words. He's not establishing three categories. He's not saying there's Words to remind people of with regard to Jesus. And then there's words that are quarrelsome words. And then there's the just generic words that are neither quarrelsome nor Christ. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. Quarrelsome words includes both those categories. It includes the category of things like we'll see later on about the resurrection already taking place. And it includes any other words that have nothing to do with Christianity. Believe it or not. Paul, in effect, is saying there's quarrelsome words and there is Christ words. And words separated from Christ are quarrelsome because they're not about Christ. Words that expressly are not interested in Christ are quarrelsome with regard to his kingdom. Now, they oftentimes will cause quarrels between people. We do get into those, don't we? Quarreling about stupid things, don't we? We get all sorts of quarrels going on about all sorts of crazy, stupid things that are absolutely meaningless, and, and they die with time. Isn't it something? You think back on, time, on your time for a second, your life, and ask yourself, what were some of the things that I was really hot and bothered by for the longest time, and now I could care less? Do you have any of those? I couldn't care less about them. They're meaningless to me today, but they were all, woo, for a while. Remember how you spoke about them? Fought over stupid things? Argued? Defended? And you know what? The whole time Jesus was standing at the door knocking. Wasn't he? Right? The whole time Jesus was standing at the door knocking and you were over here quarreling and I was over here quarreling about stupid things. We give our heart away to things. That's the whole point. Paul is telling Timothy, in effect, without saying it, is guard your hearts. What are you giving yourself away to? Look to Jesus. Remember Jesus. When you remember Jesus and see him in his glory, you are going to say, I, I, I can't even catch my breath. Why would I want to waste my breath on that stuff? And there's Jesus. And notice what he says here. 
charged them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but does what? Ruins the hearer. You know, it's, it's really crazy. I'm just going to say this, if I may. I hope I don't offend people on this. But I'm j- it's just an illustration. And the reason why I keep bringing this type of illustration up because I find it very uncomfortable and grating because I find myself involved in it so often. Do you ever find yourself, like you've got your favorite sports team and you defend your favorite sports team, you fight for your favorite sports team, you disagree with the other opponent t- uh, fans and you get in big arguments over it and eventually the conversation ends and that unsaved person just goes walking straight off into hell. And it doesn't even phase us because we proved our point that our team was better. And what did we do? Did we help the hearer or hurt the hearer? What did we do? Did it help the hearer? Is the hearer going to heaven because, because of all that you just said about your favorite sports team? Is that hearer closer to Jesus? No. If the hearer is another believer, is he worshiping now? Correctly? No. Is he further from worship or closer to worship because you spoke into his life? Further. Now, I know some people say, Steve, this is pretty radical. This is really radical. What you're talking about just doesn't exist. And that shows how far off we are from reality. What did Paul say to the Corinthian church? I've chosen to only know Christ and him crucified among you. I find that a striking statement. You see, we typically think about hurtful words, words that hurt, uh, uh, maybe mocking somebody, right? Or saying something that is maybe racist or, or saying something that is sexist or something like that. that that's kind of hurtful words and the hearer is hurt by that. And that's all horizontal. Isn't it? That's completely horizontal. Paul's not talking about horizontal. He's talking about vertical. It's not about did I hurt that person's feelings. It's about did I, did I bring the person closer to Jesus? Did I point the person to Jesus? Did I remind the person of Jesus? Did I challenge the person to look to the author and perfecter of faith? And encourage that believer to fix his eyes on Jesus? Or did I encourage the other person who may be a believer to fix their eyes on something else? And the person's non believer, did I encourage them into their idolatrous, sinful, Satan worshiping ways? Or did I present Jesus? Paul tells Timothy, remind them of these things. And charge them, challenge them, challenge who you speak to, to not quarrel about words. We focus on Jesus. It's an interesting thought as I was looking at this text, just to ask the question, When was the last time I found myself in a a conversation with somebody who was a believer? And it's like the 400th conversation I had with them. And I asked myself, when was the last time I talked to that person about Jesus? When was the last time I had a spiritual conversation with that person? I had 400 conversations with them now. I can't even remember the last time I had a spiritual conversation with them. I've been off the reservation. With an unsaved person, how often do we talk to an unsaved person again and again and again and again and again and again and we talk about everything but Jesus. Everything. 
Verse 15, Paul tells Timothy, and by extension to all believers, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I want you to notice in this verse, it's a very active verse. How do we know that? Well, he starts out by saying what? Do your best. Be after it. Give it everything you've got. Pour every ounce of your being into this thing. Very active. Do your best. To what? To present yourself approved as one approved. Now, on one hand, we say, whoa, wait a second, Paul, I thought either I am saved or I'm lost. If I'm saved, I'm approved because I have his righteousness, right? Right? Well, yes. Absolutely, I'm approved because I have his righteousness. I am approved because I've been grafted into the vine. I'm approved because I have been adopted as a son. I'm approved because my sins have been atoned for. And God calls me a friend. I'm a brother. There's only two categories, approved and condemned. That's it. Text talks about condemned. Approved and condemned. And I wasn't involved in that whole thing that happened, except for I was mocking Jesus. Wasn't I? That's all I was doing. And he reached out and saved me. So what in the world is he talking about? And he says, do your best. What is he talking about? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. It's not that you're doing any approving. He's saying do your best. The words are important. Do your best to present yourself as one who is approved. Words are important. What is Paul telling Timothy? Well, on the, on the surface, what he's saying is, Timothy, be who you are. Be who you are. Pre do your best to present yourself as one who is approved. Well, what's one who is approved? One who is approved is one who is loved by God, right? One who is loved by God is approved by God. So if you're loved by God, do your best to look like it. Well, what's that all about? What, what, what are you talking about, Steve? Well, are you loved by God? What does he say? We love because he first loved us. We're reflectors of his love. And his love is summed up in the gospel, isn't it? It's summed up in the gospel. Completely. So if, if his love is summed up in the gospel in its completion, in its completeness, then if we're not speaking gospel into each other's lives, we're not reflecting the love of Christ. If we're not speaking gospel into a lost and dying world, we're not reflecting the love of Christ. We're just not. We're living as if we're unapproved. You see, what Paul's arguing, if you drill through it, is this. He's saying if someone really is approved, he's going to look like someone who's approved. He's not going to look like somebody who's unapproved. But why do we find ourselves so often not looking like someone who's approved? That's the question, right? Why do we look so often like someone who's unapproved than someone who's approved? And it's not what you think. It's not, well, it's because I'm not working hard enough. Because it says do your best. It's not primarily because we're not doing our best. You know what it is? It's because we're not remembering because if I'm remembering Jesus the author and perfecter of faith if my eyes are fixed on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith I'm not going to what does Hebrews 12 say I'm not going to 
lose heart with regard to Jesus. If my eyes are fixed on him, the result is going to be I'm going to run for him. If my eyes are fixed on him, then I'm going to find myself living for him. If my eyes are fixed on him, I'm going to be reveling in his love. And I'm going to be living in and enjoying and being saturated with gospel. And my life is going to be gospel saturated. Well, if my life is gospel saturated, guess what's going to come out of it? Jesus Christ, gospel. If you take a sponge and put it under water and squeeze it and open it and squeeze it open until it becomes firmly saturated and bring it out, can I tell you something? Coffee won't come out of it. It just won't. You know what's going to come out? Water. Because the water's within. That's why Paul tells Timothy, remind them of these things all the time so that the faithful ones will therefore go out and remind others of these things as well. Because as we are reminded and we chew on and we meditate on and we remember Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and we remember that he is the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated, amen, at the right hand of God. Won't lose heart. We're saturated with the love of Christ. You know what's going to happen? The love of Christ will come out, and we won't get caught up in these other things. Do your best to be as one approved. And the primary way we become approved is by remembering it. Dwelling on the truth, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chewing on it, wrestling with it, considering it, peeling it open, looking at it a little bit closer and more closely and more closely. What does it mean? Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, risen from the dead. What does that mean? Offspring of David, what does it mean? Did anybody even think about that this week? I'm not confronting, I'm asking a question to ask yourself. Did you think about that this week? Did you open your scriptures and study that a little bit this week? And learn about the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or did Easter Sunday end and resurrection disappeared? Is that what happened? He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best. Be after it with all you have. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, if you dink around, you won't get anything. James 1. If you're double-minded, don't expect to get anything from God. Do your best. Do your best to present yourself as, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, here's the interesting thing. I find verse 15 very intriguing. He starts off by saying, do your best to present yourself as one, uh, to God as one approved. Then he describes him as a worker. The worker, of course, in the kingdom, for the kingdom, for the king, doesn't mean you're working hard at work. That's not what he's referring to. That means it's about these things you're remembering. You're working hard at remembering. You're working hard at, at wrestling with. You're working hard at comprehending, understanding, gaining truth. And you're working hard at reminding others as well. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. We have no need to be ashamed because we're loved by God. We don't have it. It's not that we have no need to be ashamed because we're doing so well. It's we have no need to be ashamed because he has done so well. I have no need to be ashamed. I'm approved. As I dwell on that, that should bring me to gratefulness and thankfulness to remember. 
so that I work hard doing my best, so no need to be ashamed in the function as well. Notice what he says, has no need to be ashamed, but then he throws the curveball. Rightly handling the word of truth. You know what Paul just said? This is not primarily about what you do as in I've got to preach, I've got to teach, I've got to minister to people, and this, that, that, that. No, he says, here's the scoop. At the end of the day, this worker that's approved of God, that is not ashamed, the reason why he's approved of God and, and not ashamed is because he's receiving the love of Christ, and being a recipient of the love of Christ drives him to the Word so he can learn about the love of Christ. <laughs> which introduces him more to Christ and his love, which drives him back to the word so he can know more of the love of Christ and the Christ who loves him. And he's rightly handling the word of truth. He's rightly unpacking it. He's rightly grappling with it. He's rightly grasping it. It's trans And by the way, rightfully does not mean that he just gets the data. He's rightfully grappling with it and rightfully handling it not just in understanding, but in transformation. It's transforming him. Because before, he was all about these other words. He was all about these other things. And now he's becoming more and more about the one he's learning about. And he's becoming more and more caught up in the Christ that's revealed to him in the Scriptures. He's becoming more and more caught up with the reality of the one who loves him and died for him and rose again. The offspring of David. He's enthralled by that Jesus. He's right, rightly handling the word of truth. Not just, I got that verse figured out and I got it down pat and I got it right. But the word of God is transforming him. Which begs the question, as we think about ourselves, to ask ourselves this really important question. How you doing with the Word of God? How you doing with it? How's it going? How's your study going? How's your wrestling with the truth and bringing it to bear in your own life? How are you being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Using the truth at work in you. See, I find it oftentimes the case that people... They want to be transformed, but they don't know from what to what because they're not reminding themselves of the truth. They're just reminding themselves they don't like this, or they don't like that, or they don't like something else in their life. But they don't know the Word of God. And the Word of God is not being brought to bear as a worker for us to change and grow and love Christ and reflect Christ in greater and greater ways. A worker approved unto God is not ashamed. He's someone who is rightly dividing the word of truth. He's not someone who's following the law. That's not what he's talking about here. He's someone who is hot after Jesus and seeing Jesus in the words of the scriptures and seeing Christ's love in the words that are on those pages. And reveling in the truth of Christ. He shifts back to the negative in verse 16. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. That's an interesting phrase. When we hear irreverent babble. We think really wrongly about it. We think irreverent as if we're mocking and belittling Jesus. It's irreverent. For Paul, that's, that's one little sub-micro category of the whole thing. When he says, <coughs> but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, he follows that up with verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. So here's people who are in the faith, it seems like. They are 
people who seemingly were important enough to be recognized. They were preaching that the resurrection already happened. In other words, what they're talking about it was more of a spiritual resurrection that happened when you got saved, no physical resurrection. Now that's obviously an error. And they're upsetting the faith of some. Paul calls that irre- irre- irreverent, I almost said irrelevant, irreverent conversation. They didn't rightly divide the word of truth. They didn't rightly handle the scriptures. They're failing in their handling of the truth. So the point Paul is trying to make, and this is just one example, it's one that was going on in the Roman church at this point in time, is this idea of people, I'm sorry, in, in the church Timothy's ministering, it, it, it's, it's people who are saying things that just aren't true according to the scriptures. They are not just wrong, they're irreverent. They're not honoring the one they're supposed to be honoring. You see, if you deny the bodily resurrection, we don't have a redeemer. Now, it's not just talk about the resurrection. That's one of the things. It could be any number of things. Irreverent conversation could be any number of things. Could I submit to you, irreverent conversations are nice folksy wisdoms. Here's what I think is best for you to do. Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. Wait, no, no, what does God say? What does God say? Well, here's how I think you should handle that situation. What, 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 does, what does God say? And most importantly, what does God have to do with any of it? And that's the point. These two people were preaching about the resurrection already happened. There's no such thing as bodily resurrection. And so as a result, they're not focused on the reality of Christ's complete redemption. And what Paul, in effect, is saying is, as exhibit A, these people are not focused on Christ. They're focused on their ideas. One of the biggest ways you can be warned is when people are always about the Scriptures, but not about Jesus, for example. Not about Jesus. You get the idea that Paul's trying to tell Timothy there's a lot of quagmires around, don't you? There's a whole lot of pitfalls. There's a whole lot of dangers. Be careful. Be after it. Work hard. Do your best. But notice, it's not just irreverent babble. It has effect. It leads people to more ungodliness. And by the way, that's a key. It leads to ungodliness. If we understand that we're either leading people to more godliness or we're leading people to less godliness or more, or more, more godlessness, there's no, there's no middle category. We're either leading people to God or away from God. We ask ourselves an important question. And the important question is, am I actually leading people, pointing people, encouraging people, exhorting people toward Christ Or am I by default, because that's oftentimes the case, leading people, exhorting people, encouraging people, guiding people, as it were, away from Christ? Because he says, whatever this irreverent conversation is, this irreverent babble is, it pulls people from Christ. That's the key. Again, there's no neutral ground. We're either pointing people to Jesus or away from Jesus. We're either exhorting and encouraging and ministering to people toward Christ, or we're exhorting and ministering people away from Christ. That's what we're doing. Which brings us to 19. 19 wraps it all up. Here Paul tells Timothy, in effect... (coughs) Even though it seems, Timothy, like a lot of the church is a train wreck. Even though it seems like a lot of the church is 
not even dysfunctional. It's just not functional. Even though it seems like a lot of the church, Timothy, is not Christwardly, and even though it seems like a whole lot of the church is actually encouraging people away from Christ rather than towards Christ, In effect, he says, Timothy, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Because verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands. It's firm. It stands. It's unshakable. It's unmovable. It's always solid. It is never wavering. God's firm foundation stands. What's he referring to as God's foundation? Well, the scriptures tell us God's foundation that is firm and stands is Christ. We sing about it in the morning, in Sunday mornings, oftentimes. How firm a foundation? Remember the song? Christ. What did he just say in verse verse thirteen? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He, as the foundation, is firm. He stands. Unwavering. Take it to the bank. Your only hope is to be on the foundation. The only hope. And by the way, Christ is the foundation of the church. Scriptures tell us that. The only hope we as a church have is if we're on the foundation. If you're off the foundation, you're toast. How do we know if we're off the foundation, not acting like we're not approved? Ashamed. How do we know? Because we're not caught up in Jesus. Because we're not people reminding one another of Jesus. Because we're not remembering these things. But his foundation is firm. It's not changeable you don't have to wonder am i am i is this the foundation is is, is this the foundation is 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 this the foundation oh my goodness maybe this is the foundation. oh what about this no it's none of that it's jesus he's the same yesterday today and forever no jesus learn jesus drink at the fountain keep drinking and lo and behold you'll find that that foundation is unwaveringly firm, unswavering, on anything. It's just there. You can bank on it. No matter what quakes come, no matter what hard, difficult hurricanes blow into your life, no matter what, His foundation, God's foundation is firm. And that's where transformation takes place. That's where reminding takes place. That's where remembering takes place. That's where light shines. But God's firm foundation stands and it bears this seal and it's a two-part seal. And what an amazing two-part seal the foundation has. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You stand on this foundation, there's two things you will forever be reminded of. When you stand with Christ. The first one is the absolute confidence that we know that the Lord knows we are His. Otherwise, He could lose them. But He can't lose them. He loses none. John tells us that. The confidence we have is the Lord knows who is His. He knows if you belong to Him. And by the way, the implication here and the teaching elsewhere in the Scriptures is this, that (coughs) if we belong to him, something is going to change. We will become different people if we truly belong to him. That's why the second statement, the second part of the seal that he gives here is let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, sin. 
It's a command. When he says let, it's a command. You must. Those who are approved of God do their best to present themselves as one approved of God. By doing what? By remembering who he is and that he remembers his children and, as a result of that, fleeing iniquity. Fleeing sin. Going to war against sin for God's glory. Now, how does that happen? It only happens if we're on the foundation. It only happens if we're standing on the foundation, depending upon Christ for our very existence, for our very breath, for every aspect of our lives. It's about Jesus' foundation. He knows me, and that encourages me. He knows me. He intimately knows me and loves me still and will always love me. He knows who are his. And as I dwell on this Jesus who knows me, as I remember this Jesus that knows me, as I remember this Jesus that loves me, as I remember this Jesus who died for me, who rose again for me, who fulfilled all the prophecies about the coming Redeemer, the one who has come and yet will return, as I dwell on him and the reality that he, that he knows me. You know what happens? As I dwell on that, I find myself beginning to flee iniquity. The command is to flee iniquity. But as I remember him, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to flee iniquity. And you know what I'm doing? I, I'm doing my best to present myself as one approved unto God. Now, the only reason why I'm doing it is because he's at work in me. Right? A workman doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly, rightly handling and applying and living out and within the word of God. But can I say this real quick? You will never do your best to present yourself as one approved unto God if the foundation's here, Christ, and you're wandering around everywhere else. You and I will never, ever, ever do our best to present ourselves approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of, word of truth. Never will. And ultimately, if we still continue to be dinking around and not coming to the foundation, ultimately, you know what that means? It means I'm not approved. That's what it means. Because when he changes us, he gives us a new heart, right? When he makes us alive, he gives us a new heart, a heart that desires God. That's what he does. He gives us a supernatural longing for the one who has saved us. And when we have that supernatural longing, you know what starts to happen? He brings us to the the foundation where he knows us. And we begin to war against our sin because of that great love we're receiving from him. If we don't go to war against our sin, it must mean that one of two things is true. Either Christ is a liar and he's completely powerless, or we don't know him. We don't know him. If we find ourselves unchangingly in quarrelsome words, not remembering, not reminding, not remembering, not reminding, quarrelsome words, irreverent words. You know what that means? Ultimately, it probably means that I don't know the foundation. Or better put, I'm not known by the foundation. I'm not loved by the foundation. And the call is to the cross of Jesus Christ. So our, I go back to our question in the beginning. Are you approved by God? Are you doing your best 
to be as one approved by God. Working that does not need to be ashamed. Carefully, carefully chewing on, ruminating on, meditating on the word of God, the word of truth. Carefully bringing the word of truth into your life. Being transformed. Are you finding yourself growing in Christ? Are you finding yourself becoming more and more like your new father, God, and less and less like your old father, Satan? If not, you need to be reminded. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. If you come to him, he will not cast us out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He loves us. Come to the foundation. And discover how confident the foundation is. How sure it is. How solid it is. Drink deeply. And be satisfied. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we ask you to help us because (coughs) like Timothy's day, we are a people who easily wander astray. We are a people who easily get distracted. And rather than doing our best to present ourselves as one approved of God, We don't do anything or seldom do anything. Rather than being careful to rightly handle the word of truth, we regularly avoid it and rarely study it. And we ask you to transform our hearts. Help us to recognize the love of Christ. Help us to come to the foundation. Because even if we're, we're wandering all over the place, only Christ is sure. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be on the firm foundation, to be who we are, approved by you if we are saved. As you said in Hebrews, there's already been too much time for us to give in to the earthly passions and desires and to practice them. It is time for us to love you and glory in you, worship you and serve you. So help us. In your name I pray.